Thank you, Josh and Sarah, for those great songs. And uh, this past week, um, I was watching one of the NFL games, and I honestly don't remember who was playing in the game. Uh, but I do remember that it was coming down to the wire, that the teams were in the fourth quarter, and uh, one team was leading, I think, by about five points, if I remember it right. And, uh, the team that was leading had the ball, and so it was one of those that, like, they almost felt confident that, that they were done. They almost felt confident that this game was over. And uh, then all of a sudden, the quarterback, he goes back and he receives a snap, and he drops back uh, to throw a pass. But what he doesn't know is that when he's getting ready to throw the pass, he pulls his arm back, and then one of the defensive guys actually came um, and made it all the way around him and grabbed his arm as he had it back. And so he, he was trying to follow through with the pass, and he, he made the ball go about maybe 10, 15 yards before it hit the ground. Um, and so when it hit the ground, none of the offensive players were anywhere around the ball. And so some of you may remember that game from last week. You may know who's playing. That's okay if you don't. Um, but if you remember, there was kind of an exciting moment in the game because when the ball went about 10 or 15 yards, no offensive players around anywhere, this defensive player jumps on it. And then he realized that he wasn't tackled by anybody, so he picked the ball up and took off running. Um, well, the rest of the guys didn't know exactly what was going on, so he ran all the way down the field into the end zone. And once he got to the end zone, he starts celebrating, his team starts celebrating, because in his mind, uh, he had just recovered a fumble. And uh, he recovered this fumble, he made it all the way to the end zone, and so he scored this, which would have given his team a lead, and they would have taken the lead from the other team, but... The other team immediately started to protest and say, no, no, it wasn't a fumble at all. It was an incomplete pass that the guy was throwing in, and he just didn't get to finish the pass. And so uh, they were arguing that this wasn't a touchdown. The other team was arguing that there was a touchdown. And, and so there was this moment of kind of chaos going on on the field because you got one team and one sideline that's yelling and celebrating. You've got this other sideline, this other team that is really arguing and fighting against this whole idea that none of this should have happened. And so the rest do uh, kind of what they normally do in a situation like this. They, they kind of huddled up in the middle of the field and they kind of talking to each other. And who knows what was really said because you don't really get to be in that conversation uh, with the referees. But they decided the best thing to do was go back and watch the footage of the play and see if they can make a ruling whether this was just an incomplete pass or whether this was a fumble. And so there were a few minutes there, and in, in watching the game, just a couple minutes, where there was just this massive amount of uncertainty about this game. Because this one thing was really going to change everything. If it was an incomplete pass, then they put the ball back to the offense, and they give time back on the clock. But if it was a fumble, then the defensive team just took the lead. The defensive team was now in charge of the game. And so you can kind of see that the strategies of both of those teams were really going to have to change in that moment. They, that what they were expecting and what they were planning for was going to be really different. And I can only imagine trying to be a coach in that situation because I can imagine there were about a million different things going through their mind about that and about what was next. And, and so what do we do now? What do we do in all this uncertainty and all these variables going through their head? I imagine that they, they kind of had this idea, well, if it was a touchdown, we need to do this. But if it wasn't a touchdown, we need to do that. And, and I don't know if you've ever had that moment in your life or those moments in your life where you're just kind of stuck in this uncertainty. You're just kind of waiting to know what happens next. You're just kind of waiting to figure out what's going on because you don't really know. You can't really predict. You can't really uh, know what to do next. And so you're left with all these questions and all this wondering of what happens now. 
what am I supposed to do now? Or what do I do next? And, and maybe all this uncertainty, and you feel kind of all the emotions that were going on on that football field from both teams. Part of you is super excited about what you think has happened or what's going to happen. Part of you is super nervous or maybe even mad about what has happened, and you're trying to figure that out. And, and part of you may be just kind of the referees. You're just kind of scratching your head just trying to figure out, I don't know what to do with this, but it makes a huge difference. And I would almost venture to say that for a lot of us, this has been our 2020. And so I, I watched this game and I just kind of thought this moment really sums up what this year has been like for a lot of us. This whole year of uncertainty. There's been this global pandemic. There's been a recession. There's been unemployment. There's been political division and civil unrest, and there's wildfires in the West and hurricanes in the East, and, and all these big, huge national things going on. And those are huge moments of uncertainty. But beyond that, there's all these personal things that, that may not make the news, they may not make anybody's news feed, but they're personal inside of you. And, and within you, there's these moments, or within your home or your life, there's these moments of mass amount of uncertainty that's left you asking those same kind of questions of, what do we do now? I don't know what this looks like. And so this morning, I'm glad that we have made it to this time of year because this is a season that we've been waiting for. It looks different and it may be different over the next few weeks, but this, if nothing else, is the season of hope. And so in the midst of all the uncertainty that we've had this year, in the midst of all the uncertainty that we've endured, uh, even right now in this moment, this is the opportunity we have to rediscover hope. To rediscover what this season is all about. And so this morning we're going to do that by taking a look at uh, an overlooked story in Luke chapter 2. And it's story, when we look at, think about Luke chapter 2, we think about Mary and we think about Joseph and we think about the shepherds and the angels. And we know the first part of Luke chapter 2 really well. But there's another story that comes after that that we may not be quite as familiar with. These two characters in the story of Jesus named Simeon and Anna. And it's a shame that we don't know as much about these two. It's a shame that we don't hear more about these two because these are a great example of what it looks like to have hope in the midst of all this uncertainty. What it looks like to have hope and keep this hope alive regardless of what's going on around you so if you've got your bibles and i hope you do uh, because we're not going to have the the text on the screen this morning hopefully you've got a bible you can pull it up on a bible app if you need to you can go online there's lots of websites that you can do it but we're going to be in luke chapter 2 this morning i'm going to start reading in verse 22 and i'm going to read down through verse 38 so luke chapter 2 verse 28 says and when the days of their purification according to the laws of moses were finished they brought him being jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord that every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord, and the offering and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse twenty five. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous. And devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27 Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law. Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, 
uh, light for, uh, for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and will be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, There was also a prophet Anna, or excuse me, a prophetess Anna, a daughter of Phineo, the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that moment, she came up and began to thank God and speak to him to, or speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for who you are. God, we're so thankful for these two characters that we have in this story uh, who had been longing, waiting, anticipating for what they got to see. And so, God, I pray this morning that wherever we're at, wherever we are gathered, God, and whether we are by ourselves or with family or wherever the case may be, God, I pray this morning that we see your hope. God, I pray this morning that we discover what hope looks like through the lens of Jesus and that we can look through Jesus and we can see what Jesus brings into our lives. And so, God, I pray that we take the life of Simeon. I pray that we take the life of Anna, God, and I pray that we will see what it is that made their hope last and what it is that provided them hope, God, so that we can live out that hope, God. God, for many of us, this has been a hard year. This has been a tough and difficult year. God, for many of us who are watching right now or are going to watch this later, God, we are desperately seeking hope. And so, God, I pray that you will use this story to remind us this is where hope comes from. This is what hope looks like. This is your one true source of all that you can hope for. And, Father, we ask all this in your wonderful name. Amen. For many of us, this is one of the most exciting times of the year. And, and what makes it part of that excitement in our house is that uh, we get this little, actually it's two, we get two things in the mail that really kind of add to the excitement of the year. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. We get this thing called the Amazon gift guide and the Target gift guide in the mail. These two things, for you guys that don't get those, if you think back, it's kind of like the modern day version of the Sears and Roebuck catalog, if, if, you're, if you're that generation. And so, But the, the Amazon or Target gift guides, they are really geared towards kids, and they are just pages and pages and pages of, of toys that they think your kid's going to be interested in. And so our kids love to get these things, and so we have to kind of put restraints on them, because if not, they, they will grab this thing from the mail and they will immediately start going through and they'll start working their way through it and they'll start circling stuff or making notes on stuff or even writing down on a different piece of paper. And all these things that they're circling become their wish list. Now, we had to put kind of restrictions on them uh, because we began to realize they were really circling like everything on every page. And so this was not really a wish list as much as they wanted all that Amazon had to offer them. And so, but when we kind of narrow it down, this becomes their wish list. This becomes what they're hoping for. This becomes the start of their dear Santa letters. This is what they tell their, their relatives or their parents. This is what we're hoping for. This is what we're hoping to get on Christmas Day, on Christmas 
Christmas or the week of Christmas. And so uh, these kids, they, they start looking forward to these things. And you see, they get this gift idea and they start going, or this gift guy, and they start going through it and they start making all these things. But I've noticed something in what they're marking. They never mark the toys they already have. There's stuff in that gift guide, whether it's Target or Walmart or Amazon or wherever it comes from, there's stuff in there they already have. It's sitting in their room, and sometimes they're playing with it from time to time, and sometimes they're not. But I've noticed that when I go back through the catalog, through the, the guides that they've, they've been going through, there's nothing in there that's marked that they already have. You see, because they don't look forward to something they already have. They're looking forward to something new and something different. You see, once you already have it, it doesn't become an object of hope anymore. Once you already have something, it really becomes an object of Thanksgiving. You see, we just finished that holiday, and now we're rolling into Christmas. But uh, Thanksgiving is really reflective. It's really looking backwards. It's, it's kind of saying, God, thank you for all that you've given me. Thank you for all that you've done for me. And it's really uh, backwards looking and, and, and the blessings of what God has done and what God has already given you. And so that's for Thanksgiving. But Christmas is different. Christmas is marked with this idea of looking forward to something, something that you're longing for, uh, something you're anticipating. And, and this is what Simeon shows us about the first idea of the hope, is that hope is always looking forward to something else. It's always looking forward. In verse 25, we're introduced to this guy named Simeon, and it tells us a lot about him in this very short verse, and, and kind of shows us how it describes him. In verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout. He, he was an upright man. He carefully observed the commands of God. And uh, that's what it means to be righteous in those days. And he had a good reputation. He was well respected amongst the other Jewish leaders, amongst the people that he was around. That's what it means to be devout in those days, according to this word. And by the way, just interesting, Luke is the only one that uses this word devout. He uses it here in the Gospel of Luke, he also uses it in the book of Acts, but he's the only one, uh, and just a handful of times he uses this word, and it kind of, he's well off, meaning that he's well respected. And so, this Simeon guy, he is righteous, he, he's, he stands and he does the works of God, he's devout, he's, meaning that he has a right standing before people in this case. And he, get this, in the end of verse 25, he's looking forward to Israel's consolation. Now, to fully understand that, I want you to, to appreciate this. I want you to understand a little bit about the world that Simeon is living in. Because Simeon doesn't live in 21st century America. The world that he's living in, it was a harsh time. It was a, a cruel time. There was conquest and there was brutality all over the place. In fact, the nation of Israel in that time when Simeon was alive was much like the rest of the world. They were a defeated nation. They were a nation that was living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And, and to make it worse... That wasn't their only loss. You know, sometimes if you lose once and you're kind of dealing with just this one loss, you can kind of handle that a little better because you always think, we're going to make a comeback. But, but this wasn't their only loss. In fact, over the last thousand years, they've been invaded and defeated by several enemies. The Assyrians came first, and the Babylonians came in, and the Greeks came in. And all of them took their turn really plundering Israel before the Romans ever even showed up on the, on the scene. And so uh, the, Israel at this time is this oppressed nation, and they're living under the occupation of this Roman authority, this foreign power. 
And so there's all this political uncertainty that's going on in his day. There's all this political upheaval and political unrest, and there's always a talk of rebellion. There's always talk about uh, kind of cracking down and stopping a rebellion. There's all this talk that's going on about revolts and stuff like that. So the world that he's living in has all this political unrest. It has all this um, political uncertainty going on. But it gets worse than that because not only is there the political and physical uncertainty, there's a huge amount of spiritual uncertainty going on as well. You see, in the time of Simeon is born, God had been silent for 400 years. It had been 400 years since God had sent a prophet to give them even just a glimmer of hope. It had been 400 years since God sent them a reminder uh, that, that He was true and He was going to keep His promises. It had been 400 years since they'd even heard of a prophet coming to say, Hey, remember, just remember there's this Messiah who's coming and when He comes, He's going to make everything right again. You see, all this time of silence had led many of them to start questioning, God, are you still there? God, are you still on our side? God, are you still going to do what you told us you would do? Are you still going to send the Messiah? Are you still going to keep your promise to us? But for a few of them, this promise of the Messiah, this was their deepest hope. This was the one promise that sustained them and encouraged them. And this is what spurred them on through the thousands of years of destructions, through the hundreds of years of silence. This one promise of the Messiah was the one thing that kept them going. This was the consolation that Simeon was looking forward to. This was the comfort that he was anticipating. And even though his present reality didn't fit that, this was what he was hoping for. You see, hope always precedes our present reality. Hope is by its very nature. It exists in an uncertainty before it's true. It exists in the questions. It exists in the doubts. Even in the unclear moments. You see, that's where hope is. Hope is not something that we've already gotten. Hope is not something that we're holding on to and we're comforted and secured with. Hope always is willing and evident in the moments before that. It's willingness and a desire to believe beyond what your present circumstances and realities are around you. See, without a doubt, this has been a tough year. Without a doubt, for some of you, this may have been the hardest year you have ever had to live through in your entire life. Life has been hard. Life has been uncertain. And there's been so much uncertainty almost in every direction. I don't remember a time in our nation or in my own life that life held so much uncertainty, not in just one area, but in so many different areas of our life. And so life has been hard. And it would be very easy to to fall into that that present reality. It would be very easy to kind of look at our present reality and kind of sink into this despair and this depression. It would be very easy to, to look at our present reality And ask those same questions that Israel was. God, are are you still there? God, am I still one of your children? God, what where are you at? God, what what are you doing? God, this this can't be what it is. God, this can't be the abundant life that, that you promised me. You see, but hope doesn't live in our present reality. Hope always looks forward. Hope is always living in the future. And it looks beyond the here and the now and looks into the what is next, into the promises that God has made and the promises that we know He's going to fulfill. So if we're going to rediscover hope, if we're going to rediscover Christmas this year, then we've got to start looking beyond our present realities. We've got to start looking beyond the circumstances that are around you. And we've got to start looking to the glorious future that Christ has for us, even if that's not what we see right now, even if that's not the moment we're living in right now, hope always, 
always looks forward. And if we're going to rediscover this hope, we got to stop looking at the world around us and start looking at the world to come. we got to stop looking at the present circumstances that we're in and start seeing what God has promised for us. That's what Simeon does in this passage. He's living in a very uncertain time, much like the time we're living in today. And he, he is looking forward to this promise. Now, I'll be fully honest with you, that's, that's not always easy to do. It's much easier for us to kind of look at where we're at and just be settled there. But it's often, sometimes, this is something we need help with. And so if we're going to have this kind of hope that Simeon demonstrates here, that, that we can look forward and beyond where we're at, then we've got to do what Simeon does. And that's we've we got to be fully dependent on the Spirit of God. We've got to depend on Him like nobody else. And so hope always depends on the Holy Spirit. If you've been at Cornerstone or, or you've been through our services, I've made mentioned this several times. That if the Bible mentions something more than once, if an author mentions the same idea in a very short period of time, he does it for a reason. He's trying to draw your attention to that specific thing. He's trying to draw your attention uh, to something very important, and he's making a point that he doesn't want you to miss. And so if you look over verse 25, 26, and 27, we see that's what Luke is trying to do. He's trying to draw your attention and he's saying, listen, there's something very important I'm trying to get you to pay attention to because we see that he mentions the Holy Spirit three times in those three verses, verse 25, 26, and 27. All three of them mention the Holy Spirit. And so if Luke is putting this much emphasis on it, then we've got to pay attention to it. You see, the first time he mentions it in verse 25, it's the very end of the verse. He says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him, or was upon him. Now, let me just point something out to you for just a moment. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit was in him. Uh, that's often what we hear, that the Holy Spirit lives within us. Uh, that The Holy Spirit is inside of us. You see, the indwelling, the living of the Holy Spirit within us, is something that happens the moment we accept Christ. It's something that happens the moment that we become a believer in what Christ has done for us. But at this point in redemptive history, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, Jesus is the Savior at this point, but He hasn't fulfilled the duties uh, that are required to become that Savior. He hasn't become the sacrifice that cleanses us and takes away our sins and purifies us from the inside out. So what we have here is very in line with the Old Testament. In fact, it's more common to hear that the Spirit came upon or was on someone versus living within someone. But now on this side of Calvary, on this side of the cross, the Spirit lives within us because we've been cleaned and perfected by Christ. But what Luke makes clear here is the Spirit is upon Simeon. And what he does, what he means by that is that the Spirit helps him. The Spirit helps him build this hope and sustain this hope. And so he does it in two different ways. In verse 26 and verse 27, he, he shows us these two ways that the Holy Spirit helps us build the hope of Simeon. In verse 26, it says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And so the Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings hope because he is the revealer of what is true, the revealer of truth. He reveals God's plan, and he not only reveals God's plan that there's a Messiah coming, but he reveals Simeon's part 
of God's plan, that suddenly Simeon gets to be part of what God is doing through the universe. And so hope bring, or, or he brings hope to Simeon because suddenly Simeon doesn't just sit back and do nothing. And suddenly Simeon is part of what God is doing throughout the universe and throughout redemptive history. And so God has suddenly reminded Simeon through the Spirit that he hasn't forgotten this promise. He hasn't forgotten the people of Israel. He hasn't forgotten and abandoned the nation of Israel. And so all these questions of, God, where are you at? God, what are you doing? Suddenly we have the Holy Spirit revealing to us that God hasn't forgotten them. That God is still with them. That God still has a plan. It may take longer than we thought. It may not be what we pictured it to be. But God's plan is still going to happen. And guess what? We get to be part of that plan. And so Simeon is suddenly included in this plan. Simeon is not forgotten. His faithfulness to God is not forgotten. And God's going to reward that faithfulness by allowing him to be part of this redemptive history for all of humanity. And Simeon gets to be part of the story. See, this is the truth that the Holy Spirit has revealed to Simeon that he's not going to die before he sees the Lord's Messiah. And so this Holy Spirit reveals and he points to Simeon the truth of God's faithfulness. Listen, God has told you, Simeon, that there's going to be this Messiah. And and I'm going to give you this promise. I'm going to reveal more truth to you. That you're not going to die until after you have seen this Messiah. And so hold on to this promise. Hold on to this truth that I'm giving you now. And see, don't miss this because this is important. Jesus would have only been in the temple for a very short moment of time. He would have only been there for just a short moment. You see, not only does the Spirit reveal truth to Simeon, but he also guides him to see that truth come to light. And when we look in verse 27, this is the second thing that the Spirit does to build hope in Simeon. Verse 27, he says, Guided by the Spirit, he enters the temple complex when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law. You see, the Spirit not only reveals truth, but He guides us in a very practical way to put us in a place where we get to see truth lived out. The Spirit guides and directs Simeon to go into the temple at just the right moment to encounter this baby Jesus who was only eight days old at the time. And I want you to see that this this has to be the working of the Holy Spirit. Because he would have only been in this temple for just a short period of time. He wasn't allowed to go into the temple before the eight days. Um, and so Simeon may have known the date, depending on if, how much he knew about Jesus and how much he knew about the, the birth of Jesus. He may not have known anything about the birth of Jesus. He, he may not have read the story. In fact, he didn't have the story of the shepherds and all this that was going on. But I want you to see that, that the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph at the time, would have brought Jesus in to the temple complex, this 14-acre area. They would have brought him in. They would have went over to the kind of the corner. They would have performed these customary rites, these customary rituals they had to do. And they would have walked out. And they would have started their trip back to Nazareth. So don't think that they came into the temple and they were just hanging around the temple and they spent all day there. No, there's a really good chance that they came in, they were going to do this thing, and then they were going to leave. And so for 
seeming to be guided by the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit puts him in the exact place, on the exact date, at the exact time that he needed to be there to see the wonderful Messiah, to see exactly what God had promised him that he was going to see. And so we have to understand this guiding and this leading of the Holy Spirit means that if we aren't listening to what the Holy Spirit says, then we may miss out on what the Holy Spirit has already revealed to us. You see, if Simeon hadn't been prompted, if he hadn't followed the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then he would have missed this encounter with, with, what he was, with Jesus. You see, I want you to think if Simeon was you, or if you were Simeon for a moment, and something is guiding you, the Holy Spirit is guiding you, the idea is he puts his hands on your shoulders and he literally moves you to where you need to be. What if Simeon had been like, you know what, I just, I just don't feel like going to the temple today. Think about that. Think about that blessing that Simeon would have missed out if he'd said, you know, I just don't, I just don't feel like doing it today. Maybe, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. What if Simeon would have answered the Holy Spirit and said, you know what, I really, I know today I need to go there and I feel you tell me I need to go there, but what, what about, I, you just don't understand, I've got so much I need to get done today. I've just got so much on my agenda. I've just got so much on this list. Holy Spirit, have you seen this to-do list? Have you seen this project I've got? Have you seen this, this workload that I've got? I just don't have time for it today. There will always be tomorrow, and I'm sure tomorrow is going to work out great. And so what if Simeon would have answered the Holy Spirit that way? What if Simeon would have said, you know what, I've just got too much stuff to do today. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll try it again tomorrow. Or better yet, for some of us, maybe we don't answer that way. Maybe we just answer the, the guide in the Holy Spirit and we'll say, you know what, we just, we just don't really feel qualified to do that. We don't really feel qualified to go into the temple and do this thing. You see, there's people in the temple who get paid to do this kind of stuff. There's people, there's professionals in the temple, there's leaders in the temple, and this is the kind of stuff they get paid to do. This is the kind of stuff that they are in charge of. They've been trained to do this stuff, and so why don't I just let them do it? And so I'm so afraid that so often we miss the hope of the Holy Spirit because we don't listen to the guidance that He's providing for us. We don't follow through with what God is calling us and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes we just say, hey, I just don't feel like it. And sometimes we say, hey, I'm just too busy. And sometimes we say, no, there's other people that are going to do that. And all the time, this was the promise to Simeon. And we're going to miss out on hope in this time of season if all we're doing is looking for a reason to push off what God has called us. We're going to miss this opportunity to see hope and rediscover hope in the midst of our uncertainties if we don't listen to what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. And so when we see this, that God has revealed to us the truth. We have in His Word the truth. And we also have to not only have this truth, but we have to allow this truth to direct and guide our lives. This is what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us throughout this whole book. It is all the truth. And so I want you to understand that we've got to start here. We've got to start with this truth. And if we're going to rediscover hope, if we're going to rediscover what Christmas looks like, if we're going to look for hope in the midst of all of our uncertainties, we've got to be listening to what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. He is the revealer of truth. But we've also got to learn that if we're going to find hope, not only do we have to see and hear what's been revealed, but we really got to be able to allow our lives to be patterned after what has been re- revealed. We got to allow this truth to work into our lives and to guide our lives. We got to allow this truth that's been revealed to us to put its hands on our shoulders and guide us to the moments where we are supposed to be, to be in the right spot at the right time. And so if we're going to rediscover hope this Christmas, it's going to be because you have 
been dependent on the Spirit. It's going to be because you committed to follow His guidance and His direction. And you're going to rediscover hope this Christmas because when you do that, day in and day out, you pour into this truth or this truth pours into you. And day in, day out, God's faithfulness of every promise that He's ever made coming true, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of that. And the Holy Spirit is going to remind you that what God says, God does. And there's never been a promise in this truth that God didn't fulfill. And the same is true for your life. There's never a promise in your life that God hasn't fulfilled. And so if we're going to find hope, if we're going to discover hope this morning, we better depend on the Holy Spirit because He reveals truth to us and then He guides us to the moments and to the places we need to be to see those truths come to pass. We would depend on the Holy Spirit as our source of hope. We start to see this and display this confidence in God's plan. You see, Simeon follows the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He walks into this temple complex and and this is kind of, a, I picture this as maybe kind of an awkward moment for Mary and Joseph. And I don't know if it was or not, but I, I just picture this, and this is the way this plays out in my mind, just because this is the Michael Rake's version of what goes on in his head. Uh, it's kind of a scary place to be sometimes, but I'll let you in on it for just a moment. You see in verse 28, Simeon uh, took him up, took Jesus up in his arms and praised God. I want you to understand, the reason this is awkward in my mind is because this is the very first time possibly, that Mary and Joseph have ever seen Simeon. They probably have never heard of him. They probably don't know who he is. They probably have no expectations. They just know there's this guy that's walked into the temple, and I imagine that Simeon, is he doesn't waste time. I imagine that he doesn't waste energy, um, that when he's on a mission, he's full into that mission. And so I kind of picture like Mary and Joseph being off to the side and Simeon walking in on this side of the temple complex and just making a beeline, just straight to Mary and Joseph. And, I, and we don't know if there was conversation before this or not, it doesn't tell us. It doesn't say that he asked to take the child. It just says in verse 28 that he took him up in his arms. And so this is the, kind of the awkward moment of this, this situation because I picture Mary just holding her little baby and Joseph standing by his side and all of a sudden this man they don't know and never seen before just comes in and grabs him and then starts speaking prophecy over him. And so maybe at this point, Mary and Joseph, uh, maybe this wasn't unusual for them. Maybe they had seen so much unusual stuff throughout his conception and throughout his birth. And maybe it was just all so unusual that, that this really didn't make any difference to them. This was, hey, we need to expect the unexpected with this kid. Something is different about the way this... And so maybe at this point, they had seen enough unexpected and supernatural stuff that this didn't really bother them. But what we do see in this passage is we see this confidence that Simeon displays about God's plan in the next few verses. I want to read verse 29 through 32 for you. In verse 29, it says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised. Verse 30, For I have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people. In verse 32, In light of... Our light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. See, this is the first time that Simeon had ever seen this little child. He knows nothing about his conception. He knows nothing, very little, if anything, about his birth story. But he is fully confident that this little child is the long-awaited Messiah. This, this one is going to bring the comfort that Israel is waiting for. This is the one that's going to bring salvation to the world. And, and it doesn't surprise him. That's what's interesting about this story, that he doesn't seem shocked. That he's holding this little baby, and this baby is the fulfillment of all the promises that he's been given. It doesn't shock him. He's not surprised that this little baby 
is the long-awaited Messiah. You see, it's kind of interesting because everyone else in the Christmas story, they take a little bit of convincing. Think about when Mary was told that she was going to conceive and she had lots of questions, and she had lots of things to try to figure out. And, and Joseph, when he found out the news, he had to be convinced by an angel in his sleep. When the shepherds to show up, it took a whole multitude of angels to convince them, hey, this is serious, but not Simeon. Simeon doesn't have any of that. He doesn't get visited by an angel. He, nothing. He simply has the confidence that Jesus is who the Holy Spirit has told him he was, that Jesus, this tiny little eight-day-old baby, this is the story. This is the plan. This tiny little eight-day-old baby, this is the Savior of the world. This is the long-awaited Messiah. He's the one that's going to bring salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And the sad thing that we often miss is because everybody was looking for this mighty warrior. Everybody was looking for somebody that had a military background or somebody that even came from a military family. But Simeon's hope leads him to this confidence that this little baby is the answer. This is what God's needed to work his plan. And regardless of how little he is, regardless of how how helpless he is, regardless of how fragile he seems, regardless of the fact that Joseph wasn't a military leader, this baby's obviously not, regardless of the fact that Joseph may never picked up a military sword or had any military training or whatever, this is it. See, all the hope in the world was contained in this tiny little bitty baby boy. You see, hope, trust, and it has confidence even when it doesn't make sense. You see, hope, trust, and has confidence because it trusts the God with the big picture even when we only get to see the small part of it. Hope has confidence not in our abilities, but in what God can do and what God is going to do. You see, hope says, look, I see this tiny little bitty baby. And I don't know how this little bitty baby is going to save the world, but I know that God can use it to do it. Hope says, I, I, God, I don't know how you're going to use this situation in my life. I don't know how you're going to use this hardship in my life to bring my good and your glory. But God, i got confidence. And hope says, I've got confidence that God, I know you can. I know somehow this is going to work in your plans, and somehow this is going to work for my good and for your glory. God, I don't see it because all I see now is the trouble. All I see is the, the impossibles. All I see is the, these hindrances that stand in the way. All we see is this tiny little baby. God, how in the world is this going to be the Savior of the world? But we have hope because we know that the answer is in the God who put this plan together in the first place. We have hope in the midst of all of our uncertainties, in the midst of how bad our situation or how bad our year is. We have this hope because we know that this somehow fits into the plan of God that we only get to see just a small picture of it. And God has this huge plan through all of history that He's been weaving and putting together. And so there's hope because we have confidence in the plan that God is working and confidence in the plan that God has put together. There's one final thing that we're going to have to do if we rediscover hope this year. We have to be willing to actively endure the uncertainties. You see, this is the picture we get not only with Simeon, but with this other lady named Anna. And like Simeon, Anna is well advanced in years, and uh, she's had to face her share of uncertainties for sure. See, at one point in, in Anna's life, she was married. In verse 36, it tells us she was married and she lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage. So she was married and then seven years she lived as this happy, newlywed, married. We don't know that, but I'm just making that part of the story. For seven years she lived in this wonderful marriage she had and then her husband died. We don't know why. We don't know what happened to him. We just know he died. Because if we keep on reading in verse 37, it says that she was a widow for 84 years. 
Now, to be fully honest with you, there's a little bit of ambiguity in the Greek text. What this could mean is that she, like it kind of reads, that she had been a widow for 84 years, which if she was, means she was about 104 years old. Okay, means he should could have got married at about thirteen. It wasn't unusual in those days. Um, she could have got married around thirteen, uh, been married for seven years, and then been widowed for eighty-four years, meaning that she was about one hundred and four years old. It could also mean uh, that she is eighty-four years old. All right, um, meaning that she um, got married around six, thirteen. She lived with him for. Um, Seven years, and so for the last 64 years of her life, of her 84 years, she's been a widow. It could be either way, uh, but I want you to understand whether she was 104 or 84, it's very clear that this was a long life. And I want you to understand that she knows uncertainty because when she had a husband, her husband died, and all of a sudden things changed for her. Because I want you to understand that the world for a, a widow in the first century, it wasn't kind to them. It wasn't nice to them. It it didn't look on them with favor, especially if you were a young widow, kind of like she was, we're assuming, without children, uh, because it doesn't mention any children. It it wasn't good for them, because if you were a young widow without any children, and your husband died, you were viewed as cursed. And so nobody else wanted to marry you, because whatever you did to that first husband was probably going to happen to them. And so there was this idea that you were cursed, you were despised, you were rejected by God because your marriage didn't fulfill what it was supposed to. And so despite all of this, Anna still has hope. Despite all this uncertainty in her life, she still has hope, just like Simeon does, because in verse 38 it says kind of the same language. She is looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She has this hope that God is going to deliver the people from their sins. She has this hope that, that, that God is going to release them from their bondage, from their debt of sin that they all owe. She has this, this hope that she is eagerly awaiting this deliverance that she's heard about. And so she's waiting and she has this great expectation that this redemption, it's going to happen. It's just taken a really long time. And so she's enduring all the uncertainties, not just of her life, but all the world that's around her. And I want you to notice that when she she's enduring these uncertainties. She's not just sitting back doing nothing. She's active in her hope. You see, hope becomes a thing that we can work with and deal with when we become active in our pursuit of it. She is active while she is enduring this uncertainty. In verse 38, I'll go back to that verse. It says that she didn't leave the temple complex. She was serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. For all those years, she was pressing on. Whether it was 84 years that she was a widow or 64 years, she didn't leave the temple. That 64 or 84 years, she was serving God and she was seeking God through prayer and through fasting. And if we're going to rediscover hope, then we can't sit back and do nothing. If we're going to rediscover hope, we've got to be actively willing to endure these uncertainties that life throws at us. If we're going to rediscover hope, we can't just sit in our pews Sunday morning and we can't just sit in our house with a Bible next to us and think that somehow it's going to jump over on top of us. No, hope comes when we actively pursue the things of God. Hope comes when we're willing to say, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm coming after you. See, if we're going to find hope anywhere, it's going to be through the Spirit revealing truth to us and us seeking after the God who deserves our, our allegiance and the God who deserves all that we have to give Him. And so it would be very easy 
for us to kind of waste away. It'd be very easy for a lot of us during this time, even though we can't be together physically, for us just say, you know what, maybe church isn't that important. It'd be very easy for us to take our Bibles and just push them off the side because after all, we didn't go to church Sunday, so we didn't really need the Bible anyway. But listen, you're going to miss out on the hope of Christmas. You're going to miss out on so much hope, not just of Advent and Christmas, but all of your life. If you're not actively seeking to serve God, to, to communicate with Him, and to be with Him, hope comes alive when we actively seek the one who gives us hope in the first place. You see, it can be so hard to be where Anna was at. It could be so hard to lift up your downcast, tear-filled eyes to look at this tiny spark of hope that we feel that might be in any moment swallowed up by our pain. It can seem so difficult to reach beyond the, the troubles that we see and to reach out to God's outstretched hand. And it can feel so impossible to take the first step of hope when we're weighed down by all of our burdens. See, but this is where these stories come to help us. Because our only source of hope is this little eight-day-old baby. Our only source of hope and our only comfort that we have is that God's Word has been true over and over and over again. That we can depend on the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us and then guide us to the places in our lives where we can see that truth come into pass. It's that we can depend on the Spirit to, to when, when God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's the Holy Spirit that can take you to points in your life and say, listen, this was a lonely time in your life. This was the time when you thought God left you, but guess what? He didn't. Zoom out a little bit and you'll see that God was right beside you. Zoom out a little bit and you'll see that God was working behind the scenes. Zoom out just a little bit and you'll see that God was doing so much to be with you through all of this. See, but if we're going to receive the promise of hope, we're going to do it in God's Word. and We're going to find this new strength. And when we accept the power of hope granted to us in God's Spirit, then we'll find this new inspiration. When we're focused on the power of hope embodied in us and embodied in the birth and life and death and resurrection and the return of Christ, then we'll really discover what hope looks like. You see, hope is not our present reality. It's the glorious future that awaits us. Hope is revealed to us in the truth that the Holy Spirit gives us. And hope is revealed to us in living out that truth. Hope is fully dependent on the Spirit Hope is displayed in the confidence that we have in God's plan that, God, I don't see how this is going to work at all, but I know that you can. Regardless of what my life looks like, God, I don't know, but you do. I don't know what I have to offer, but you do. Hope endures uncertainty, but it doesn't just do it by sitting and doing nothing. It is actively in pursuit of what God is and what God says. It runs to Him when everybody else is running away. Hope actively endures all of our uncertainties. Let's pray together.